Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Hi everyone, it's a wonderful privilege to share with you today. Some of you may remember me from my time as part of the staff here at Windsor Park in the care team. I now divide my time between my spiritual direction practice and my work as a chaplain for the Selwyn Foundation at the Selwyn Village in Point Shev here in Auckland. Part of my chaplaincy role involves preaching and leading the services once a month in the little Anglican chapel in the village. Some of the different ways of doing things have taken a bit of getting used to, but one thing I have especially come to appreciate is wearing a robe when I preach or lead. Those of you that speak in front of church would know how stressful it is choosing what to wear. A nice loose robe with a rope around the waist is definitely the way to go. Our Advent series is entitled, A Thrill of Hope, which of course comes from that beautiful old carol, A Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. This time of year can be wearying even without all the heaviness of the things going on in the world. Just coming to the end of a year can be wearying. But today my prayer is that we each rediscover something of the thrill of hope that the Advent and Christmas season symbolize. Let's begin by reading from Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 24. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. I love words and I love stories, and there are so many stories vying for our attention in that text. The faithfulness of Joseph, the shock of a teenage pregnancy, the power of God speaking through dreams, a virgin conception. But today we are going to focus in on the end portion which of course is in itself part of a bigger story, Israel's story, and is a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Once upon a time, there was a town in the countryside of England, cobble streets, Tudor buildings, medieval cathedral with magnificent stained glass windows and a castle were just some of the landmarks that gave this place its charm. But it wasn't just historical. 
It was also an important industrial hub, and this made it a target in World War II. For 11 hours, beginning on the night of the 14th of November 1940, the city endured a relentless bombing campaign, leaving much of it destroyed and the beautiful Gothic cathedral in ruins. The outer walls and the tower were all that remained. In the days following the bombing, a bewildered stonemason by the name of Jock Forbes was wandering in the cathedral ruins when he discovered in amongst the rubble two charred roof beams which had fallen in the shape of a cross. He bound them together and placed them next to what was left of the altar. A short while afterwards, a neighboring vicar found three medieval roof nails in the rubble, which he too tied into a cross. This city was Coventry, and these two crosses became the inspiration behind an incredible movement of reconciliation and forgiveness around the world. Fifty-eight years after that devastating air raid, I sat in those ruins, overwhelmed with a wordless emotion and a swelling worship in my chest. There was a reverence, a holiness, and a presence of God in that place that was almost overwhelmingly tangible. God was in that place. God was with me. It felt like holy ground. My experience at Coventry Cathedral reminded me of the story of Moses entranced by a burning bush and God calling to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, do not come near. Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. I began looking up other holy ground moments in the Bible. And the more I researched, the more I was struck by the long and complex story of how and where people meet with and experience God. Right at the very beginning, in Genesis, we have the story of the Garden of Eden. The way in which Adam and Eve walked and talked so freely with God paints a beautiful picture of how God intended our experience with Him to be, living all of life on holy ground. But humankind's rebellion resulted in banishment from the Garden and ended that ongoing free connection and communion with God. The story continued, and Exodus is scattered with images of pillars of cloud and fire, food provisions miraculously appearing in manna and just enough quail, roaring thunder, flashing lightning, smoke and pyrotechnics. Continuing on, we read in great detail about how worship was organized into a complex system of priests and sacrifices and symbolic acts and rituals and lavish descriptions of some truly incredible robes. It was believed that God resided in the tabernacle and then later, once it was built, in the temple. More specifically, God resided in the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, which was the part of the tabernacle or temple separated from the holy place by a thick curtain. Only the high priest was allowed to enter this place, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Access to God was now restricted. People approached God through sacrifice, ritual, and through the priest. The freedom found in Eden was gone. This system remained in place for hundreds of years, and then one day, everything changed. With a tiny baby's helpless cry, the words prophesied by Isaiah came to pass. The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means 
God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus showed us what a life in reconnected communion with God could be like. His entire life was a holy ground. Emmanuel, God with us. The woman with the issue of blood merely had to touch his cloak to be healed. The wind and the waves obeyed him. His very words brought life, healing, and hope. There was just something about him, a feeling that couldn't be put into words, that caused people to be drawn to him and even cling to him. In his lifetime, Jesus was the living embodiment of holy ground, God with us. But the story didn't end here. It was through the death of that young man that humankind's experience of relating to God changed forever. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, the moment of this change is captured. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And at once the veil of the Holy of the Holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Suddenly, that separation, that barrier, that exclusivity that had existed in gaining an audience with God behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies was torn open once and for all. Hebrews 10 describes it this way. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That helpless baby Jesus, the one whose birth we anticipate through Advent, became our high priest, the ultimate day of atonement sacrifice. Through Jesus' death, access to the place where God resided was no longer restricted to a select few. The story did not end there, however. Fifty days after the Passover week Sabbath, there was Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers like tongues of fire. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, a remarkable thing happened. All of humanity from that day onwards had the potential to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We as the body of Christ together are the temple. We as the body of Christ together are the place where God resides. We are the Holy of Holies. We become holy ground. Poetically, the story comes full circle to a beautiful ending in Revelation where we read, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. A final restoration back to that union with God that was enjoyed so freely in the Garden of Eden. What a powerful, image-rich story, one that many of us know so well. But what does this story mean for you and me today? At best, our lives may contain glimpses of times where we might have met with God in a special way, those Coventry Cathedral-type holy ground moments. 
but they are few and far between. It is all too easy for us to rely on the pastor to meet with God on our behalf, and attending church can be a ritual that we follow, or we simply don't consider that meeting freely with God is an option. If we do not stop and take notice, if we do not pause to reflect, we will miss the burning bushes all around us. We will miss the burning bush inside each of us. God calling to us, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. This earth is holy ground. We are holy ground. God is with us, Emmanuel. I remember my first meeting with God. I was about eight years old and attending an Easter service at my childhood Anglican church. With the first quiet notes of the organ, the hymn began. The sad words somehow wove themselves deep into my heart and I suddenly realized that God is. Strange emotions overcame me. I wanted to laugh and jump up and down. I wanted to cry. I wanted to lift my arms and embrace the darkness. But in reality, I stood still feeling like I would explode with all the conflicting emotions inside. I stood still and sang the words that were somehow suddenly filled with meaning. There is a green hill far away, outside a city wall, where our dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. My being was exposed to something indescribable. The proverbial scales had been shifted on my eyes and I had tentatively reached out to touch the invisibly tangible face of God. Even now I wonder how it was possible. How is it possible that the creator of all things would unveil himself to one small and unbelieving child? Emmanuel, God with me. Can you think of an early or even a recent encounter with God, maybe in a church, perhaps at a camp, or through an interaction or situation which felt like holy ground? I invite you now to take a moment in silence, perhaps even close your eyes if you are comfortable and reflect on Emmanuel, God with you. profound that our meetings with God don't only have to be on the high days and holidays of life. Yes, it is often in the births and deaths, illnesses and crises that we turn to God. But if we understand our hearts to be the holy of holies in which our God dwells, then all of life has the potential to draw forth praise, worship, communion with God. When we understand that we are the new temple, the church in which God resides, it doesn't make sense that we meet with God only on occasion. God is with us already. Emmanuel, God is with us. It is up to us to choose whether or not we notice God with us. It is up to us whether or not we choose to respond. 
At evening prayers on the final seven days leading up to Christmas, many traditional Catholic and Anglican churches sing special short chants called the O Antiphons. These seven Advent chants are based on names given to Jesus in Scripture. And in the original Latin, the names created a reverse acrostic, erocras, which means, I shall be with you tomorrow, or I am coming soon. To those singing the chants, the words served as a reminder of what we celebrate at Christmas. Wisdom, Key of David, Bright and Morning Star are some of the names, but it is the final chant sung on Christmas Eve that many of you will recognize. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're going to listen to the hymn version of the antiphons as a prayer as we end today. As you listen, allow yourself to remember your story of Emmanuel, God with you. If your mind overflows with images and stories of your relationship, then give thanks and praise. If your story with God is like a forgotten and dusty sepia-colored book, take this time, this holy ground moment, to reconnect with God and allow a fresh chapter to begin. And if you have never had that first meeting with God, perhaps today is that day. If that is you, I pray that God will speak into the most holy place within you, your story will never be the same. In the midst of all the chaos of the wearying end-of-year stuff, I pray that we turn our eyes to the indescribable hope, the thrilling hope of this Advent season. May we pause, reflect, remember, and notice Emmanuel, God with us, alive and dwelling within and amongst us. Amen.
thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.